Hello and welcome to What We've Learned. Series three, Shane and Steve again, here with our pioneers, our leaders in this series. And Shane, hello to you. Hi, Steve. Who have we got this week, Shane? Tell us about this week's guest. Oh, well, we're a real treat this week. Um, Joel Harrison, editor-in-chief and co-founder of B2B Marketing, um, founded as a magazine back in 2004. What? A magazine? I remember those. Yes. Yeah, one of those. But um, Joel's sharing with us, you know, the whole journey he's been on with really the evolution of B2B marketing and where his company's ended up today, but also where the industry's gone. Fascinating chat. Yeah, a, a really interesting chap, a really lovely chap as well, and a really lovely chat with a lovely chap, Joel. Um, and I think a very, very unique perspective, as you're about to hear, because he is a journalist, as he talks about, and it may not have been B2B marketing he wanted to get into, but it's certainly B2B marketing that he's been in and has been front and centre. So he's got that very objective, outside-in view, albeit somebody who has been at the centre of B2B for many, many years. A really fascinating guy and a really interesting chap, as you're about to hear. So really happy to have Joel Harrison join us today. Joel, welcome. It's lovely to be here with you both. Um, maybe for some people who don't know you, um, we will have talked a little bit about your background, but I'm fascinated to know how a man who studied urban planning at university has ended up in the world of B2B marketing and editor-in-chief. Uh, was that something you planned, Joel? No, it's certainly, I mean, it's very hard to plan something that long ago. Um, you know, but I'm, I, I'm, I think my, I do best when I'm interested in subjects and, you know, I am interested in the built environment and architecture and things like that. And I'm interested in marketing. I'm interested in marketing because my dad was in it for years. He was a direct marketer um, at when all that started, kicked off and he worked for people like Wonderman and RSCG and um, Leo Burnett, all those names. So marketing's kind of in my blood. And but as a, as a professional, I became, a, I fell in love with journalism. I love communicating and clarifying things like that um and you know whilst I maybe my career if you you know asked me what I really wanted to be at 21 22 I probably would have said architectural journalist but settling for being a marketing journalist is you know a, a happy um a happy alternative and I'm very pleased with how things have ended up and I feel like you know my family are in, in, the, in the business so um uh, it kind of works pretty well so but certainly no no intention of uh, ending up here 25 years ago I don't think I've ever met somebody who's in and around marketing, Joel, that actually intended to be in and around marketing. Um, it's one of those happy coincidences. I remember years ago doing a job fair with the head of HR at the company I was working for. And he said, Steve, you've got the easiest day in the world. You and I, because everyone else will pick off the departments and careers they want. And that when they don't know what they do, they go to HR, or they go to marketing. Yeah. Um, so you could just stand there for years and observe us people going into marketing for reasons unknown. But it, it, it make a really good point, Steve. But I mean, I think that is possibly has certainly has historically been one of the problems, hasn't it? I think you know historically, women B two B got such a bad name for so long is because people drifted into it, or maybe were sometimes were sidelined into it because they weren't really very much good at doing anything else. I think that has changed an awful lot. Um, but I yep. do think we, you know, as an industry, one of our challenges is to actually make us a kind of a destination, a place of destination. That's a, that's a contradiction. Yeah, well, it's, it's a really interesting one. I've got a friend uh, who studied law and she got into marketing and she said to me, God, this is really easy, isn't it? it you know, compared to law, there's not much to it. And that's exactly the point. But rewinding, Joel, you know, that you wanted to be involved in architectural journalism. Uh, it's fair to say, if it's not too hackneyed, that you have built 
um, the industry in as much as, and I was reading your latest piece for the for B2B Marketing Magazine around how there wasn't really even a B2B marketing industry back when you started this. So, you you know, you, you might have wanted to be the architect. You probably have by, by laying the blueprint and doing what you guys have done over the many years to get the industry to where it is and where it's going, which we'll come on to. But just kind of rewinding at the start, what did B2B marketing look like as an industry to you starting that journey from, from as an outsider looking in? So it didn't really look like anything. Um, there wasn't really anything there. And that was, that did make the whole thing pretty terrifying, to be quite honest. Um, you know, both myself and my business partner, James Farmer, um, were involved in marketing. He was um, theoretically a marketer, although if you meet him, you probably might think he's more of a salesperson. Um, that's that's a subject for another podcast. Um, and, um, but we, you know, there wasn't, there was loads of marketing events and publications. There was nothing on B2B, but even when you thought about it and looked at it, um, you knew it was obviously going to be enormous. It was huge. And, um, and it was just a complete misnomer about why there wasn't anything there. So it did feel like a bit of a leap in the dark. And, you know, when we were in that article, that piece you referred to, Steve, I was talking about, you know, literally, literally writing the first issue in my, in my living room. And, and it was very hard to pull together all the content. And it's so different for what it was today. I mean, and that's just a wonderful thing. And it's, it's great to have been involved with the rest of the industry and people like yourselves in pulling this together and making it what it is. It's interesting that point you make about, you know, how quickly and how fast we've come. And I, I think there's a couple of points I want to pick up on, Joel, because I think, you know, I, I am slightly ahead of the curve. I was I was in B2B marketing before it was called that. It was scarily known as industrial marketing, which is in itself really worrying. Um, but I think the point I wanted to go back to sort of redial was the fact you, you started by saying, you know, B2B had a bit of a bad name. And for some people listening to that, they won't, I don't think they'll connect with that or understand that. And I'm interested in sort of just exploring that a bit further. Why do you say that? There's lots of aspects to that. Um, and I think it goes back to the point around, um, as I was referring to earlier on, you know, um, marketing was misunderstood um, or unrepresented or un unfairly um, valued in many b2b companies because um it was seen as you know sales was important marketing was a kind of support role for that and that reflected on the kind of people that you had within those professions often and not always but often and you had many examples of people going into it from other areas and sometimes you get some great people get in there by accident um but sometimes you had some people who frankly weren't good enough um and um, and that, you know, that reflected on, so it was a kind of um, a mutually reinforcing circle around the quality of people in B2B and they didn't have the confidence or the ability to see outside themselves and see what they could and should be delivering. And then right on the other side of the spectrum, on this kind of supply side, um, there certainly wasn't any of the huge Martech world we have. And actually one of the things which has been driven B2B onwards, I would contend in the last 10 years is the, the explosion Martech and the company and some of those vendors are brilliant at marketing and they drive the industry onwards. But you, so you had, um, you had the kind of data companies and then you had the agencies. There were very few agencies who said that we'd be B2B. When we did our first agencies lead table, we had, we found, I scrambled around to find 10. And now there's, um, we, we have a you know, hundred in our lead table just published. We know there's many more than that. We just, they just don't choose to give us the figures. And on the data side of things, I remember once someone saying to me, someone I knew in my previous role, which was a marketing editorship saying the problem would be to be, I told him what I was doing and he was like, Hmm very skeptical look he said problem with b2b job is the data is just terrible um and you know he's of course of course he was right and 
that's still the case although it's still so it's so much better than what it was Shane I know that you'll know this you both know this but um you know that was because people move uh jobs um and companies and roles um so fast so often compared to how people move houses so just being able to address the addressable market was so much harder to 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 reach and so it just led to this world that was just not as sophisticated as developed as understood and as effective as the consumer George, do you think it's and also an element of finding one's voice or confidence as well um partly because so where i i'm still today i'd be interested in your thoughts on you know whether it's b2b's more uh, comfortable in its own skin I, I, I once a year i do a guest lecture at a university and it's designed to talk to final year <coughs> graduates and basically sell b2b to them because the, the, the lecturers there say to me steve they all just want to go into consumer agency brands because they don't really understand or they don't know whether b2b is cool or not so I, i'm interested in that thought but secondly just to pose not just the consumer versus b2b uh, marketing uh, competition but marketing as a function um i once spoke in estonia uh, what I thought was going to be to be to be conference and I got there and the guy that was running it said hold on a sec just need to tell you um, b2b marketing doesn't exist in Estonia this was only a few years ago it's called sales support um, which was it really struck me that there's two sides to this coin is b2b marketing not uh, pushy enough are we not promoting the brilliance that is in there versus actually are we better to acquiesce to salespeople and, and and know our place because that's still very successful for marketing. I wonder whether you've got any thoughts on, on any of that. I mean, uh, as Andy Bacon said to me recently, someone you, I know you both know, um, ultimately marketing is, all marketing is sales enablement, but that doesn't mean that marketing has to kind of, kind of hide its light under a bushel and, and just be kind of fawningly acquiescent and, and um, you know, a vassal for sales. You know, marketing delivers value in ways that sales can't. And in the best companies, they work together, you know, um, incredibly closely and, and understand and recognize each other's values. And the problem has been historically that um, often the, the, the board and the other members of the organization haven't really recognized that in marketing. And, and they've, and, you know, and hence we, we get into this conversation around, you know, um, uh, marketing as the coloring in department and all of the associated negative cliches, which fortunately we're really moving away from. But to, to your earlier point, Steve, and I hope I've covered your questions adequately. Um, I do think there is a sales job. Absolutely. There's a sales job. And I've done a similar thing to you. I went once talking to a undergraduate group and yeah, they absolutely had no idea there was this area called B2B marketing. And, and that is a terrible crime. And it's something I would love to us to address. I just have a lot of other things I need to address beforehand. Um, and um, we're not putting it single-handedly on your shoulder <laughs> to do it, Joel. Don't worry, we're all in it together for sure. Well, well, I feel off the hook there. <laughs> no, I'm not going to let you off the hook. No, definitely <laughs> not. Because actually, I'm going to challenge you on that, Joel. Because I, I think there's a real danger of of us sort of self-defining and and being too limiting um, in our our definition of of B2B marketing. Because actually, if you say it's self-support, the problem is you know, and it goes beyond that, it is very much seen as a subsidiary department rather than the engine of growth or the engine of revenue. And I think actually, I mentioned industrial marketing being the old term. I think B2B marketing will be the old term because actually where we are now is e-commerce. And actually if B2B organizations don't wake up to that, and some of them really haven't, we know that, they're not going to exist, in my opinion, in 10 years' time, if we were doing this um, podcast in 10 years. What do you think? 
Well, I, just to clarify what I said earlier, I don't disagree with you there, Shane. So, I mean, I just I'll, you could ultimately say all, all marketing is enabling sales. That's not necessarily the same as sales support. It's enabling a journey. It's a, enabling a customer journey towards a sale. Um, um, and you know, there, there are different people responsible for that. And then a renewal marketing is absolutely a critical part of that journey. Um, but yeah, I do think. But it, it is absolutely much more than that. And I think one of the positive things, there have been tremendous negative things, obviously, to come out of the pandemic, but it has driven transformation in B2B as never before. Um, there has been some key transformational moments in B2B, but this last year has been a fundamental one. And so many of our members are saying to us, it's given us the opportunity to act, behave um, and demonstrate our potential and our ability as change agents in a business as never before and to sh- reveal the future and to, to guide guide our businesses in the way that they should be evolving, changing, show them what's possible, um, open the doors um, and shine a light on things. And, and you know, that that is making marketing come of age for B2B companies as never before. It's not universal, of course, but yeah, I absolutely agree. Marketing is, is the catalyst enabler driver of those changes. I mean, I think possibly I might, I might slightly balk at the position that marketing won't won't exist in 10 years time. Um, it might be called something else. I don't know. It's been around for God knows how long in the past. Um, I still think that people who call themselves marketers, but I like to think there'd be, if they continue on the trajectory they've had in the last year, there'll be a lot more valued, recognized um, and have higher status than they've done in the past. The value is the key word, isn't it? And again, without being too introspective, the the problem with marketing at the big table often is it's not proving itself to be accountable. Compare it to a sales director where, you know, they live or breathe by the numbers. Marketing's been a bit woolly, perhaps. And I just wonder, just from what you've said, Joel, and you mentioned the, the expansion, the rapid growth of MarTech, so technology coming to this space, whether that's actually helped or hindered that balance of being creative, but being accountable, that this technology enables a marketeer to do more um, in a more sophisticated way and perhaps to be able to analyze and report. But on the flip side, does it take some of the, the pure play marketing and the, and the human edge out of it? Or, or is it, uh, you know, it's good. The more tech, the better versus no, hold on. We're running to technology first, marketing second with all of this expansion. I, I, th- I think um, you make a really good point there, Steve, and ask a really good question. Um, I'm going to risk a Star Wars analogy here. You know, it's like, as, as Tom Stein at Stein IS talks about the kind of, you know, I think in 2008, you know, we all went a bit, uh, it, it went marketing automation, 2006 to 2008, marketing automation arrived um, at the same time as the credit crunch and everyone went, oh my goodness me, we ought to start getting accountable, hadn't we? Um, and started fundamentally changing um, in so many instances, instead of the bleeding edge companies, what they were doing, how they were doing it, and um, a lot, more, there was a profound shift at that point. And you know, I know some senior marketers lost their jobs at that point because they weren't able to respond to a, a new set of priorities. Um, you know, so previously, it was all kind of creative director living. It was a madman era. You know, it was all about the the agency creative directors' insight and whims and perspectives. And then it went very accountable. And now, what's happened more recently is we've kind of um, there's been a balance. It's an acknowledgement of, um, uh, of of the need for both accountability, measurability, and creativity. Um, I think as digital has matured, and as as the industry and the tools have matured as well, and you know, it's a little bit to begin the Star Wars analogy. It's like finding a balance in the force. You know, it, it has to be both of those things. It can't be either one of those things separately. Otherwise, it won't work. 
And I think we're, and you know, Tom Stein calls it, a, has called it postmodern marketing, which I quite like, because I never liked most modern marketing, by the way. But whatever, whether you call it that or something else, I don't mind, but it has to be both of those things. Um, and I think that the more we accept that and embrace it, the, 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 the better we'll be as an industry. I think that's really interesting, that sort of lens of, you know, you can you can always justify things looking back over it and call it what you like. But I think also the other thing you bring to the table, Joel, which is pretty unique, is that as a founder of a business that started as a magazine, not only have you been observing and commentating, you know, as you just ably demonstrated on an industry and seen all those changes, but you as, um, you know, a co-owner of a business have been living through and making the changes in your own business as well. And I think, you know, presumably one feeds off the other, but the question I have to you is that, you know, looking back over your last year, what have been for the business itself rather than for the industry, what have been your biggest learnings? Well, um, lots of the business has learned an awful lot um you know we've learned about digital events and we've learned about the i think everyone's gone on a quantum leap in terms of um of of the role of you know we've had these digital technologies around for a while zoom is newish but it's not that new it's been around for a while all of a sudden there's so much that you can do digitally um uh, and um, and that's been really exciting. You know, we've we've launched a whole new product and platform, which maybe I'll just pause that for a moment. But um, I think on a personal level, um, I've learned that there are many more hours in the day which I can work than I didn't realise that I could work in. Um, I've never worked as hard as I have in certainly the last three or four months. Um, and um, uh, I think also as a business and personally, again, I've, I think tr we felt transformations before. We've never felt, I don't think I've felt one quite as acute and as immediate as this. Um, but at the same time, I felt like it's been quite rewarding. I felt like an opportunity to really seize the initiative and drive forward with some help from some very, some great people in the industry and you're both of yourselves included in this. Um, so, um, but I think that where we, the, the kind of, um, the, the, the core transformation that we've undertaken is to re back, reinvest back in the kind of the core of the business, which is membership, um, to make some some difficult decisions like the the, the um, deciding to end the magazine after seventeen years, and to invest in this new community called Propolis, um, and which we see as being the future of B two B because it because of the intimacy and the immediacy and the collaborative potential that it enables, which you couldn't deliver through old fashioned media and and offline channels. It's interesting you say difficult decision on the on the print. I mean, it feels very much the, the logical decision, Joel, but I, I get it as a purist and sitting in my office at home right now, staring out at hundreds of books back at me. I, you know, I, as a digital, uh, digital native in B2B marketing, I still cannot get over the printed word. I love it. But it, it, you've, you've evolved throughout the journey of Silver Bullet which is the publisher of B2B marketing. It's the logical extension and come on to Propolis, but I don't want to leave you hanging as the only Star Wars analogy. It feels like a hyperdrive, Joel, right? That this technology has just zoomed us into the future at such a pace. And I work with a pharmaceutical company who are a B2B brand. And they said last year transformed us digitally over a decade, you know, six to nine months, uh, got us 10 years down the line so rather than that difficult decision it feels like the absolutely the right decision to move to Propolis and I'll ask you to perhaps explain a bit about Propolis but also whether the journey that you're going on with that was as a result of the last year in the pandemic or as I suspect it, it again it just feels like it was the natural evolution for where the industry's going not a reaction 
to to COVID and pandemic. Is that fair? It, um, yes, I think it is fair. Um, and there's lots of aspects to that, which you could go in different directions. One of the points I wanted just to come in on, though, is that one of the that there's there's a kind of recurring theme of events and content in B2B. Different people do it at different times. We've definitely done it, um, you know, sporadically in other, other organisations. Done it is what would you do if you weren't afraid? And and it's the idea that B2B people are uh, reluctant to make bold decisions because they're scared of the implications of it. And we had this situation last year where we were afraid. I mean, not so much, certainly February last year, I was terrified personally about bearing mind that this was largely based on events um, or a lot of our rate income was coming for events, put it that way. And, but we had to, we're in a situation where we had to do these bold things and we had no choice. And, and it was wonderful to, you took the shackles off and you went, well, look, it's like a, a shot to nothing in some respects. And we did this and it was, and it worked out really, and it's working out really well, which is, which is great. And so I think that's one of the, there is a definitely a reflection back on that and the rest of the market and people's willingness to take risks and and you know sometimes reluctant and wanting to guard their backs and do things which will look good because you know the cmo might only be in place for three years or something like that so i'm sorry steve that was a bit of a rambling tangent but i felt no it was no a not at all no it's a really really important tangent joel i think it adds color to it and and again and i'm going to go one more and that's it but you know we need to stay on target stay on target is what you're saying right if we can just go for a shot it's not a shot to nothing it's a shot to to the future and you mentioned Propolis, uh, I've mentioned it. Just let's pause and, and, and tell us more about it for anyone that doesn't understand what Propolis is, not just the name, but what does it stand for, Joel? What is it as this next phase of what you guys are doing and what the industry will be in, in and doing? Okay, so um, first of all, just talk about the word itself. Propolis is Greek word, um, which means first community. And it basically it's, uh, it's, it's two, two Greek words put together. And, but Propolis is the resin which bees create, use to create their hives. Um, to create the hexagonal little structures within them um, and you know obviously b2b there's a lot of bees in there um, bees industrious and, and hard working so it's not something to kind of align ourselves with um, and um, you know communities uh, you know we've always had we've always cultivated a community you know we couldn't have uh, you know I, I'm, I'm reluctant to we are one of the protagonists who have helped b2b marketing as an industry become what it is yeah we're not the only ones we're one of those entities but there has always been a sense of community and we've been very keen to foster it and the two of you both involved in that and you know and there are people there are lots of other core people and there's people to a greater or lesser extent involved in that but it's been an informal community and if you turn up to b2b marketing ignite or the awards you know everyone loves networking they meet friends and colleagues and it's brilliant and they have great time doing it and you know there's lots of informal networks um, but there, it's not a formal um, structured community. So we, you know, our perspective was, um, and there is a, there is a, at the same time, there is a, an evolution um, in um, a rebirth rather of communities. And we talked about this yesterday in this webinar with um, Vashti Friedlin, who set up the consultancy and now set up a platform called Guild and Susanna R uh, Kemp, who's our chairwoman. Um, the communities had got a bit, bit of a bad name. They, you know, exploded, you know, in the kind of noughties and then um, it kind of got a bit spammy and so much content out there. And um, so the, the community got a bad name, went away again. But now we're in this era, era where trust is really important and people want that connectivity and they want to get um, uh, to, to learn from their peers. Um, so Propolis is designed to create a structure, um, to, to stratify and structure something which we already have, which was informal and create a, a, a platform and a, 
um, a capability to learn from experts within those areas or people were very very knowledgeable in those in those areas and the two of you guys are both involved with this there's no, there's no make no secret of that fact um, and um, uh, and allow people to members to learn from each other and from those individuals and to share best practice and to co-create content and ideas and have events and networking within the platform to elevate their own careers and elevate the industry and elevate their teams as well because it's very important that at the moment we're it's only open to marketing teams you know you have to buy in as a, at a, a kind of a, a departmental level and there are different uh, places and levels to get involved there are strategy groups um, and there are more operational tactical groups um, and um, it's been live since January and the feedback's been great we're still learning and evolving it but we're really excited about where it's going and, and it, it just takes that level of um, collaboration onto a whole different plane um, and increasingly all of the other things that we do as a business will be orientated around Propolis um, which I think will elevate all of those things. It's a really exciting time isn't it Joel I mean for me you know and I, I make no secret of the fact that B2B um, has, has always been my home and B2B marketing gave me that community from the very beginning to feel part of but it was I think you're right very much focused around the opportunity to network and I'm really interested you know you make this point about the peer-to-peer -peer learning and this recognition almost perhaps that now that's more important for senior marketers or even junior marketers um, to have that opportunity to reach outside their organization and, and speak to colleagues so when you were building Propolis was this something you know, that your community was telling you that they wanted, that you, you saw this opportunity to yeah. take it one step further. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we, we know, you know, um, I've run a customer board for the organisation um, for a number of years and from very senior marketers, and they loved it because they they never had a chance to meet their peers, this is CMOs and marketing directors, um, in a kind of a neutral setting and the opportunity to talk about to, to, to build these networks and share experiences and share perspectives was hugely valuable to them. Um, so they didn't have a means to do it. And often they operated in a bubble within their organizations. They're, they didn't have any peers in the, in the company. They weren't sometimes, increasingly less so, not really understood or valued in, in the way they should have been. So a chance to come together and to have that connectivity was great. It's different when you go down the organization because um, lower down members, more junior members, ironically, even though they're probably more likely to be digital natives and to be the social media generation, are less um, conscious of the benefits of that network. Some of them are, but they're, but you know, it actually, I think there is a kind of correlation between the understanding of the power of the network and your success in your career. Um, and I've I can recognise that in myself. You know, my 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 recognition of the power of the network has been. Um, key to my success so I think um, that they're at those levels at the kind of um, marketing manager level certainly it's more around how do I get the job done you know I want to the quickest way to get um, to improve my campaign um, they're looking for solutions as they rise up they tend to and they're looking for advice um, as they as they rise up they kind of get the broader picture around networking they're probably more eager to share but I think what we want to do is to break those boundaries down and accelerate that and we see that you know at, at Ignite particularly you know um, when we, certainly when it was um, one day in London you know the networking the collaboration the sense of shared excitement and enthusiasm was palpable and tangible and that was why it was always such a fantastic day we very much hope we'll return to it um, not this year but next year um, and um, so we wanted to capture that and 
build it into one place digitally and 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 accelerate it i think it's interesting because it is lonely at the top joel and 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 it's but it's also quite scary at the bottom if you will so the the, the, the community for me that you've always formed and propolis is the the name for it now but your events and what you guys have stood for over the years is that safety together so you know, as you say a campaign manager or somebody who's just learning their trade it's quite intimidating but you've got that wisdom of crowds as well as those knowledgeable subject matter experts but equally you know the cmo that really can't ask the stupid question has got that safe harbor to be able to be with other people that need to ask the daft question because you know it, it's impossible to do in in certain environments so i think you bring that but you also um, the international element as well. The world has become a lot smaller in the last 10, 15 years and, and probably the last year or so because of the pandemic and the move. Is that an opportunity as well that these client side marketers are going to be able to cross fertilise with, with people across all sorts of different markets in all sorts of different countries that have you know, shared or similar goals and learnings that, that, that come together in this place? Yeah, absolutely. We, that's absolutely part of our intention. Um, and we've seen an awful lot of that in our events over the last year. The breadth of the attendance is always broad, but it's got broader. Um, and uh, and that's great. And, and you're absolutely right. It has got smaller. And, you know, we can learn more directly from what's going on in, um, you know, in Germany and in India and in the you know, West Coast USA. And, um, and, and that's a wonderful thing. Um, so um, but I think we you know initial development of the of the of Propolis is within the UK market, but we're rapidly expanding out of that, and we've got lots of clients in the US already. So uh, watch this space. We hope it'll be a global community um, in, in next to no time. Just on that, you know, you, that, that power of the global. I've always loved international. And those who know me well know that I love nothing better than uh, the chance to get on a plane and go to a, another market and learn about it and uh, bring some of those learnings back. So, That's a pitch, isn't it, Shane? We're happy to do is, this podcast anywhere on location. Absolutely. Yeah, anywhere. I'll go anywhere. But, you know, I've been doing it via, via Zoom like everybody else. And, and for you, Joel, and I think that, you know, moderating some of your events, what struck me, um, and you mentioned Ignite, you know, going back to being alive face to face. But for me, there's been real joys in moderating digital um, conferences like Get Stacked um, and like Ignite, you know, really successful, big, buzzy events online where you get all these fantastic questions coming in the chat that you never get in a you know when you're in a room you get a different sort of buzz so how how do you see the future of events because you're very well placed to give us a view of you know what's what's it going to be like is it going to be hybrid is it what's going to happen i think i think it will be hybrid but hybrid is a is such a broad term you know it's like saying it's as broad as the word event is and there's and it can you can scale it up or scale it down to whatever extent you desire and wish and, and people have the appetite for um, I think people are itching to get back into physical events. I think people are, there is a lot of digital event fatigue going on out there. That's not to say there's not great events going on, but um, you know, there's a lot of digital events happening. So I, I think that it will be hybrid. I think that um, events will become, there will be a blurring of boundaries though, events, and we're talking about this very, very seriously within our business. You know, less a moment in time, more an extended um, opportunity for both content consumption and engagement. Um, and um, so they, they kind of spread out and become more, more always on rather than, um, than just, uh, just that brief kind of flashpoint. Um, and, that, and that's great, but it does create problems for the organisers um, and, and knowing how to, um, how to balance all the different products that you deliver and do. Um, so 
but but yeah, I think that I think that there's a huge, tremendous power in the value that you get from being somewhere physically, um, and the serendipity also that you get by turning up somewhere and maybe not necessarily knowing what you're going to hear, versus having an archive of stuff you can dip into and a network of people that you can leverage um, based on the back of that. Excuse me yeah. a second. <coughs> Sorry. No, not at all. That uh, that archive, uh, I think, is a really valuable part from from my experience so far with with, with Propolis. But uh, you, again, you've got such a, a rich back catalogue of valuable content in B two B, and although there are trends, and and I'm going to come on to it in a second, Joel, just to ask you about the trends you've seen over the years, the ones that you've gone uh, quietly in your own room. Oh my goodness, what on earth is this thing they've invented as a term? Versus the stuff that really has stuck and changed, that you know pushed us forward. A lot of the the day-to-day -day for marketers, it strikes me, you know, again, if we're, we're the three of us trying to sit in the shoes of a, a client-side marketing exec who's just trying to get the campaign out the door, somebody somewhere has probably already encountered this problem and has written or thought about it from a best practice point of view, and you will be the repository for it. Now, they might have, that, that person that wrote about it might have written about it three years, but market dynamics mean it's still probably relevant to that reader today. So it's not as if you have to have this endless constantly updating every day a set of assets there's a real rich um, catalogue of, of information that can help today's marketeers from problems that were solved in the past yeah I see I feel like I might answer that question in a way that's not massively promotional to myself I think that the problem the challenge we have there's a few things you've said there the challenge that we have you know I, I was always certainly when we were running a magazine I always wanted to do almost kind of creating a reference library um, which actually was ridiculous because people never hang on to magazines long enough to make that work. Um, but I wanted to be to have to have one or two articles on subject per year that was definitive. Um, the problem is you can never be definitive about stuff, you know. And, and I'm increasingly learning that. And you know, when you're, you know, you and I did um, a webinar recently where we were on talking about growth marketing and performance marketing, and no one's nailed those terms. Everyone uses those terms to default to in whatever way is most helpful for them at the time. Um, and, and as a journalist, I find that quite frustrating or have done. But I'm increasingly and I think there is a room for us to be more for us to be definitive or at least set our own uh, determine our view of what it means. Um, but I, I don't want to necessarily restrict other people from interpreting the way that they need to in the future. Um, so I think um, your know, terms, your know, Terms come and go, and we definitely live in a fashion industry. And I was thinking um, about some of the things that you said before, uh, you know, about the things that you've seen that you thought were nonsense. You know, I mentioned modern marketing earlier. I've always hated modern marketing because it is just so nebulous. No one really knows what it means. And it is in so mutually reinterpreted for different people at different times. I remember disruption came along. Everyone was talking about disruption about five years ago, which I kind of hated. And it was a very consumer-driven thing. And again, that's one of the things that comes up. You get terms fashion trends driven by consumer marketing which don't necessarily apply in b2b um but um where am i going with this i think um uh i think th things will always come and go and i think although the benefit of propolis is that you have the opportunity to um to to create meanings and definitions which are relevant to our audience because they are um, a reasonable snapshot of the market and also they're not we're not being driven or determined by vendors and often it's the vendors that are determining um topics uh to, to make definitions these days and i don't think that's always healthy so on that joel i mean I, I agree with you and and probably comes a little bit from my sort of 
um, role as training and, and teaching is, you know, the need for robust definitions to underpin a profession, because only when you have robust definitions and people understand what you're talking about, can you communicate well. But it made me think, you know, what about any other pet peeves you'd like to share that if you could change one thing, um, what would it be? Well, I'll tell you one thing I would like to get rid of. And I actually said this in an article recently. It was, um, I'm, I'm, I'm really over the comparisons of B2C. Um, you know, and I, I got asked a question, what do you think we can best learn from B2C marketing? And I think the thing we can best learn is to not compare ourselves with, with B2C, because I just find it that, you know, it was something that was, a, it was a big issue 17 years ago when we launched B2C marketing, and it was probably a big issue 10 years ago, but I don't think it is anymore. I think we have, we live in an industry which is robust, resilient, creative, dynamic, exciting, vibrant, um, all, all of those things and so many more. And I think, um, and I, I just, you know, to, to, to sit in this place where we're comparing and it is, you are comparing apples with pears and it's not appropriate, helpful or necessary. So let's celebrate what's great about B2B marketing and, and think about how we can improve it rather than thinking about what they do over there, which is great. They do, do great stuff over there and it's relevant what they do, but it, it's not relevant and it's not a meaningful comparison. So that's the most significant thing I'd like to, to kind of formally as industry just get rid of now once and forever. I think that pays back to that kind of knowing one's place and confidence because you don't need to compare. I say this to, to brands I work with. If you, if you worry about, your, if you perceive it as competition, you worry about your competitors, all you'll ever do is, is be on their coattails. If you just go yeah. your own path, then you, you've got a much healthier chance of standing out and, and pioneering. Yeah. Um, and, and equally, is it fair to say, Joel, it's just marketing to humans. You, you can badge it as you wish. You, you know, humans tick in a certain way. I've yet to meet a Lego head person that, you know, Steve goes home to, in fact there is no it's blended so much i'm sitting at home recording this whilst working there's, there's no definition anymore between working life business steve versus home steve it's always just been about the human side of it yeah it is but then i but i also then i don't i don't wish to to be kind of contrary to you steve but I, I'm, I'm very clear there is a difference in b2b and b2c and you know, of the, course the, and that the best way of expressing that was but you know, dnx who became part of ogilvy expressed it as the four knots and i can only ever remember three of them but they are not today not just my as in you never you never make a decision to be to be just today um it's not my money so it's someone else's money and it's not just my decisions and those things all relate to sales and that's a profound difference and it will, it will always exist and steve i know you know i know you understand it but i just don't want to make no impression. no no i completely agree with you and i think that it, it, i go even further that you know b2b's spent a lot of time beating itself up and trying to compare to something that it doesn't really compare to as you say but if you were, it's incredibly difficult to be a B2B marketer because at its basic level, cons in most cases, consumer marketing is about getting one person to decide whether they spend their money. Yes, there are exceptions, buying houses, yachts, etc. You might bow to somebody else. But with B2B, it's always somebody else's money that you're spending, even if it's, you know, a £10 printer cartridge all the way up to a, you know, a £6 million software install. So I think it's an incredibly difficult thing to do because you've got so many moving parts so yeah it's a non-argument for me it doesn't need to be it's about humans but uh, if we want to then b2b it, it's such uh it's such a complex career that it, it really should be the other way around yeah and and, and i think that, and sorry shane to if i was cutting across you but the, it's the complexity which brings for me the excitement and the interest 
You know, mm. we are all we're all geeks in B two B, and <laughs> we should celebrate that. Star Wars geeks, B two B geeks, whatever we are. <laughs> and, and on that note, and how long before it's not marketing to humans? In fact, you know, with the Internet of Things, B two B marketers are starting to have to think about you know the marketing of one chip to another. So maybe, you know, maybe we are um, needing a new definition. Um, to understand that some of the, if you like, always on buying decisions won't be made by humans. There'll be one chip placing another order. Can can we get the chip? Can we get uh, uh, artificial intelligence to start buying stuff from us up to a certain limit? There's a there's a thought, Joel. What do you think? Are we near that? Is it happening? I mean, I, th- I think that we're probably nearer than I can imagine if that makes if that's not a complete cop out of an answer um i think it's gonna gonna happen it's gonna come um and um and it it will creep up on us without us knowing um not in a sinister terminator style way but um you know in just in a in a it'll be it'll be here before we realize it and and ai is another topic which i think as pam didner talked about so brilliantly against that is it's got a bit of a resurgence and um you know huge huge implications um and as marketers we just need to be to stay conscious of those things it's a balance isn't it because the technology is not just for technology's sake i remember just talking about ai i saw a very witty witty point from a developer the other day that said if it's machine learning it's probably written in python if it's ai it's probably written in powerpoint (laughs) in terms of the differences between the two but i I just wonder with your journalism journalist's hat on joel i wonder what you think of of technology and what that might mean for for a journalist Uh, not just marketers but uh, you know i'm thinking from a content marketing point of view will this advent of technology make it easier will i not even need to turn up on a podcast because i can just get a chip to come up with questions far better questions than i've come up with today but will what you do and what you you know what you've trained in and you're skilled in will that still be there is there a a risk that you know the journalism's gone not just marketing but that wider lens of what that might mean for the written word or the communicated uh, word. I mean, you know, there was those wonderful illustrations a few years ago where, you know, you can, they've trained, and I'm sure they can do better than this, they've, you know, can train bots to create Rembrandt um, pictures that look just like he'd written, done it himself. So if you can train them to do that, you can definitely train them to write any blog that I've ever written. But um, A Joel bot. A, a George, yeah, what a terrifying thought. But um, I, I do, I think there is, I feel like that's possibly why, we're getting increasingly into personalities um, and um, the, the, the power of the individual and the, the, the weight of the individual is important. Um, I don't want to go too far into the, you know, role of news organizations in the future, but I, but I think part of my personal challenge is to build my own personal brand um, and know what I stand for and be able to communicate that and, and on different platforms such as this. Um, and, yeah, theoretically, you could have a bot writing for me, but it would still be based on what I've done in the past and what I stand for. And, and, and I think that, you know, there is a world beyond that, but it's probably one that I can't really imagine, envisage personally. It's interesting that sort of reflecting on that, that sort of impact as to whether that back to what we were talking about before, community becomes even more important, that, that ability of humans you know, personally to know maybe the maximum no being a, an interesting word of a hundred people that you can sort of retain more than just their, you know, name, but feel that you know them enough. And that once you go beyond that, um, you really into, 
numbers that actually we can't deal with as humans in a, in any sort of meaningful way. So I think it's really interesting when the two things come together that, you know, you're there, Joel, you're delivering it with, with Propolis, which is fascinating technology to enable um, Propolis. And then the, the humans, if you like, to being the best of sharing our experiences as wisdom. So I'm, I'm really excited about what's coming next. Well, uh, so am I. It's, it's, you know, there is the industry just keeps getting better and better and more interesting and more rewarding. And, and, and I'm, I'm personally delighted working with people like yourselves to take to continue on that journey. So onwards and upwards. Oh, it's a love fest. Um, listen, <laughs> one final question, if we may, Joel, just because I and it doesn't come across to anyone today, but we know how you've been under the weather. So we're incredibly grateful for your time and your fortitude of getting through this. But and I know you'll hate this question because you're not a crystal ball kind of guy. But we, we've talked about Propolis. It's it's the early stage. It launched in January and going great guns. But what's your hope or your vision for where it's going in the future? Do you have thoughts on that in terms of a year, two years down the line, what that may mean for the industry and, and for the community of marketing? I think the answer to that is, it might sound a little bit self-serving, but um, I certainly want it to be international, as you discussed earlier on. I think it wants to be very much the centre of our business in a way that we've only just begun to explore um, and to really impact on everything that we do. Um, I want it to, but from a kind of, more importantly, from a customer's point of view, I wanted to be a, a you know an absolute go-to place for any of your B two B marketing questions or needs or resources, and and I want to people who aren't involved with that to, to feel what they're missing out on. And, and, and you know, FOMO is a powerful thing in this day and age, so I don't want to. I mean, I want, I want to need to be part of it, and we want it to be to grow and to become um, you know the, 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 the focal point the industry needs. Really interesting stuff there, Shane. Such a unique position I think Joel's got in the industry, as we've said at the start, and as he eloquently explained, that journalist who's been in front and centre in there. Lots and lots to enjoy and lots to be looking forward to, Shane. Lots to be looking forward to. And also, I think it's often one of those chats where it makes you reflect. And it's quite scary to reflect that actually I've worked in B2B marketing since 1982. Uh, so even slightly longer than Joel. But it's old, Shane just just a few years um but it, it just really makes me reflect of where we are as an industry and as a profession I'm really proud actually i think that b2b marketing is an excellent place it's a, in a really strong market and i think one which will power away and i think to your point it's it's interesting that we've had this really powerful media in the form of b2b marketing to support us yeah, absolutely. I think now he's not on the call, it's easier to say because he's the kind of character that won't take the credit well. But Joel and his business partner, James, deserve an awful lot of credit for what they've done with the organisation B2B Marketing, but also the industry. And certainly in the last few years, as they've gone from a UK organisation uh, to be much more global. So the ability for us as B2B marketers to connect with like-minded or not so like-minded in a healthy way, marketers out there in all sorts of different com companies and countries is a really positive thing. Um, of course, digital helps that, the ability to build online communities, but you need somebody who recognises this is a global space rather than just being myopic and, and UK only. And I think that's one of the things I'm most excited about for the future is that there's no doubt about it, the UK is firmly at the forefront of lots of what is happening that is good in b2b marketing uh, lots of innovation 
amazing creativity, which B2B marketing do a fantastic job of celebrating through their awards and their um, programs of events and conferences. And it's just, I think, really interesting, those learnings that both you and I see across the globe, because we're both fortunate enough to work internationally, that the UK is such a powerhouse. Yeah, indeed. I don't think it's always recognised until you get outside of that country to realise quite how influential it has been and will be. That said, Shane, I think you can always learn. That's the other beauty of it being a more globalised space. Um, you can learn from others in entirely different markets or close to you. And of course, we mustn't forget B2C and B2B. And, and as we talked about, maybe B2B came from a, a slightly different starting point. But certainly there's an awful lot of similarities now that we are dealing with humans after all. And that's a really important point when it comes to trying to, to benchmark and to, to ins be inspired by others out there. Yeah, wise words, I think, there to, to finish on, Steve. It's all about the people and uh, we're very lucky that uh, that is the case and that humanisation is something that's increasingly recognised and we're not, thank goodness, in the bad old days of industrial marketing anymore. No, I dread to think that sounds like a terrible place to be. So we're in a much healthier place. So a big thank you to Joel, an enormous thank you to Shane as ever. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, Joel. And indeed, thank you to you to listening in. I hope you found this episode enjoyable. Um, as ever, you'll find all of our episodes on places like Spotify and Apple Music. You can get in touch via wwlpodcast.co.uk. That will direct you to our LinkedIn home where you'll see the chat for all of the different episodes that we've hosted over the many, many months we've been running this, and indeed where you can find future episodes as well. So thanks, and we'll speak to you soon.